Welcome to the Level Up with GNO Realty Podcast, your number one source for information on buying, selling, and investing in real estate in the greater New Orleans area. Now, here are your hosts, Braden Smith and Chuck Stahl. Hey guys, and welcome to the Level Up Podcast with GNO Realty. I'm Braden Smith. I'm Chuck Stahl. And we're your host for our pilot episode, actually. Today's the first one. Yeah, we're excited about this. This is our, our, our intro podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about what people can expect from us. So what we're going to be discussing in this podcast is uh, everything real estate related. We're going to do some education for buyers and sellers as well as investors. Uh, we'll do some market analysis. We'll discuss some specific neighborhoods in the New Orleans area. Um, we'll also have some special guests on occasion that'll dig a little deeper into specific topics. Um, and we'll also take some call-in questions via our anchor.fm page or via email. Uh, for emails, you can reach me at braden at gnorealty.com and chuck at gnorealty.com. So this week's theme is how to buy a house. And what's funny is before I became a real estate agent, I was a high school teacher. And I thought it was interesting that we didn't really educate young people on the process of acquiring real estate. And people, wealth advisors will tell you real estate is one of the most important aspects of transferring wealth through generations. It, it doesn't really depreciate like other things do. It, it's an important part of a portfolio. So, but a lot of people don't know the process of what it takes to even start accumulating real estate. So we're gonna start today by educating folks um, and start telling them what it takes to get going. What, what would you tell a client who didn't know what to do, what would, you, what, was, what would be the first thing that they would have to do? Well, the first thing you want to do when you're buying a house is speak to a lender. That's, that's your first step, really. That, that is step number one when you're getting ready to buy a house is talk to a knowledgeable and reputable lender, um, which we can recommend if you need one, um, but you're going to need to get pre-approved. That's why you want to talk to a lender. And, and um, pre-approval is a very import, important part of the process. So it, 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 a lot of agents won't deal with someone unless they get pre-approved because, not to say that it's a waste of time, but you don't even know what direction to start focusing. And there's so many different types of homes out there and different types of properties out there that we need to have a narrow scope of what the price range is. And pre-approval is that first step. The number one reason is so you know what price range to be looking in. Um, if you go out there and just start looking at houses without finding out what you'll get approved for in a loan, you're, you're kind of just doing it blind. You have no idea and it'd be a very disappointing situation for you to go out there, start looking at houses, find one that you absolutely fall in love with, only to find out later that you can't get approved for the price of that house. Um, so to avoid situations like that, you definitely talk to a lender first, get pre-approved, um, so you know the price range to be looking in. Um, and, and as a side note, when you're talking to that lender, the lender is typically going to approve you for, for the highest amount they possibly can based on all the information you provide to them. Um, but just because they per, you know, pre-approve you for, say, 300 k or 400 k that doesn't necessarily mean you want the monthly note that goes along with that. Um, that note could be much higher than you want to pay. So the best thing to do when you're talking to a lender is to tell them, hey, this is my monthly budget for my total housing expenditure, you know, including everything, including your insurances and all that stuff. And then they can kind of reverse engineer it from there. So they can say, well, if you want to stay in that 
payment range, then you need to look at a house in this price range and we need to keep your insurances, your homeowners, your flood insurance within this range to keep that monthly note where it's at. And um, they just kind of work it backwards from there. And then they'll work closely with an insurance agent as well as with the realtor. So the realtor, the lender, and the insurance agent all work together to keep you within that monthly budget. And right now is a great time to talk to your lender because interest rates are so low since the pandemic had begun and people are getting their, 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 that bottom line very, very low. Yeah, absolutely. Interest rates have been hitting historic low after historic low after historic low. They're literally the lowest they've ever been, ever been. I think the lowest I've seen recently, they got all the way down to about 2.65%, um, which is just unheard of. Yeah, you're starting to see a lot of refis, some some inventory moving based on the fact that people can get uh, those lower monthly rates on their homes and people are at home and finding out that they need bigger homes or smaller homes or changes in homes. So even though there's not a lot of inventory, we have seen a bit of movement this year. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, things are definitely moving. People are buying, people are selling. Uh, The market's been great. I mean, we we had a slowdown when COVID first hit. You know, there was probably a six or eight week time frame where the market kind of actually flatlined for a bit. We um, Showings on listed properties at one point uh, were down 70 plus percent. So the market was dead. Um, but once the restrictions started getting lifted, you know, the COVID restrictions, the market just shot up and, and has been going up ever since. That's outstanding. Well, what, what does it take to get pre-approved as a buyer? Well, there's a few things that a lender is going to be looking for. Um, number one, they're going to look at your credit score, so they are going to pull your credit. And typically they're looking for a credit score of around 620, 640. 640 used to be the standard. Some can go as low as 620 now, and there's even a few out there that can even work with a credit score as low as 580, believe it or not. <laughs> Whether that's wise or not, I don't know. But <laughs> but it, that, that means there's hope out there for some. Right, right. So that's one of the things they're going to be looking for. They're also going to look at your last two years tax returns, and, and you really need to be able to show employment in the same job or or at least the same function in the same industry. If you make a major career change where you just completely change industries, then you're gonna have to wait probably two years before you can get approved because they need that two years history in the same job or at least same type of job. They wanna see consistency instead of something that they can count on so they can forecast you having income and being able to pay back that loan. Exactly, that's exactly right. Um, They're also gonna ask you for current bank statements, current check stubs, and one of the biggest things that lenders look at, or one of the most important things, is what's called your DTI, and your DTI is your debt to income ratio. And basically what that is, is it's just how much money you have coming in each month versus what you have going out each month. Because basically they wanna see if we add on another monthly expense to you, are you gonna be able to pay it? Right, hey, and it's a good idea to keep a track of that anyway, whether you're buying a house or not. Just good fiscal responsibility. What kind of costs should buyers be prepared for during this process? There's multiple costs involved with with buying a house. Um, Obviously, the the main one that is going to come right to mind for anyone is your down payment. You're going to need a down payment unless you're using a loan that provides 100% financing, which there are some that do. Um, Your VA loans for veterans are 100% financing. Uh, There's also what's called an RD loan, which is done through the United States Department of Agriculture. RD stands for Rural Development Loans. Those are generally reserved for more outlying areas outside of the city, hence the name Rural Development. Um, However, a few years ago, they actually opened up that program, expanded it to include all of West Jefferson, 
which is all of the West Bank, with the exception of Algiers, since Algiers is Orleans Parish. So, um, Beautiful you know. country. I'm from West Jefferson Parish. So we're really fortunate if you can get a rural development loan in any of that part, there's a lot of land out there. Yeah, yeah, and you can get 100% financing. Uh, now, you do have to qualify for the RD loan. There are uh, income qualifications. But if I'm not mistaken, I believe a single individual can make up to about 75000 a year and still qualify for that RD loan. Um, there is a catch with 100% financing loans, though, and that is if they're giving you 100% financing, which means you're really not putting much of any skin in the game, if you will, um, they're going to want that house to be turnkey, mint condition. They want to know that it's, it doesn't need anything, basically. Uh, and that's kind of how loans work. The, the more they lend to you, the better shape the house has to be in. Um, so like an FHA loan, you can do as little as 3.5% down, um, and then the income, I mean the, uh, the condition requirements get a little bit more relaxed. And then you go to a conventional loan, which is a minimum 5% down, and they, again, they get even more relaxed on the condition requirements. Um, but every loan is going to have condition requirements for loan approval. Um, so back to the cost, though, that, that we, uh, you're going to need besides the down payment, you're also going to have to do inspections. You should do inspections. Um, there are people that not wave. mandatory, but definitely advised. Exactly, there are people that waive inspections, especially in a highly competitive market like we're in. They might waive inspections to try to make their offer stronger than somebody else's offer. Uh, I highly recommend against that, though, um, because there's no way for you to know what's going on with that house without inspection. So typically, any buyer, you're going to do a general home inspection. Uh, a termite inspection and a video pipe inspection to, to uh, do a video of the main sewer line going out to the to the city services. So that could be a very expensive repair. It's 200 to 250 dollar cost for the video pipe inspection, but a repair job on that if you have to replace the whole main sewer line, you're talking about several thousand dollars easy. And that may not be something that somebody who's from out of town may know about. Video pipe inspections are kind of more niche towards this this part of the country. Yeah, well, yeah. for example, say Metairie, Kenner, you know, all of this area used to be swampland and marsh at one time, so it's very soft ground. It's, it's basically like you, everything sits on a giant sponge, so everything sinks, you know, and if you, your main sewer line's coming out the house and your yard sinks like this, there's a good chance you're going to get a belly in that line uh, or possibly a break in the line, not to mention a lot of those old sewer lines were made out of terracotta, which is basically like a clay pot, so you know those aren't very sturdy. No. Um, and then you, or cast iron, which rusts eventually. Um, so it's a very good idea to do a video pipe inspection. These could be very expensive repairs, I imagine. And you oh, would be on the hook for them. Extremely, yeah. They're extremely expensive repairs, typically. I mean, you're talking about digging, trenching, tunneling under the house. If there's concrete in the way, they're going to break up concrete. Uh, I imagine gonna, you'll have to get permits and that will take a little bit of time as well. Oh yeah, they're just going to tear your yard up too. So you're talking about having to you know, backfill all that after they replace it, put new sod out, repour concrete if they had to bust concrete out. I mean, it could get very involved. I mean, I've seen it easily cost seven or $8,000 uh, and sometimes even over 10000 depending on how difficult it is and how long that line is. So. Well, what other uh, costs might buyers be prepared for? Well, in addition to your down payment, your inspections, you're going to have closing costs as well. So your closing costs on average typically range between 3 to 5% of the purchase price. Um, and those closing costs, there's three main components or like three big chunks that make up that that are like the largest portion of the closing cost. And those are what we refer to as your prepaids. Um, so that's your insurances, basically, your homeowner's insurance, your flood insurance. You're going to pay for a full year of those up front 
when you're buying a house, plus an additional three months that your lender is going to require to go into an escrow account. So really you're paying for 15 months of each one up front and there's no getting around that. That's required by every lender. Um, the three months they put in escrow is basically there as a cushion. So if you get in a situation where you miss a mortgage payment because your insurance is part of that payment, they can pull from that escrow account so that your insurance doesn't lapse. Um, and then also you're going to have title insurance involved in there too, which is a very important thing to get, which uh, it, technically it's not even really required. You could waive it. I highly recommend against that worth also, it. though. <laughs> Very much worth it. And, and really, what does title insurance cover? Well, if long-lost relative shows up and says he has rights to ownership of that property, um, that's a sticky situation, and the title insurance is basically going to cover the cost of resolving that situation so that you don't lose your house. Right. And then... Uh, it wouldn't just be necessarily get, proving that it is your property, but just the legal fees and, and getting to that point. Absolutely. You can save that headache all through the title insurance. Yeah, for sure. Um, so other than those closing costs, um, can the seller contribute to them or is that a negotiable concept? The seller, it, it is negotiable and you can ask the seller to contribute to your closing cost. Um, now, if you're in a multiple offer situation, then it's probably not a good idea because you know, cleanest offer wins, um, but technically you can ask for the seller to, and it's uh, honestly, it's not uncommon for the seller to pay at least some of the closing costs in a lot of transactions, unless you're in that multiple offer situation, but it also depends on the type of loan you're using. So certain loans, they have limits. So some will allow up to 6% seller contribution, some up to 4%. So that's the question you really gotta ask your lender, what can you do? Um, but you can ask them to pay closing costs. You can negotiate that. And like I said, it's not uncommon for them to pay at least some of it. Um, and, and it can really help out sometimes if you're, you're short on cash, especially first-time home buyers, where you, know, you, you don't want to be cash poor after you get in the house because you, know, you might need some money to do some updates. Maybe you want to paint the house or upgrade a few things. Or so. put a mattress in it. You never know. Right. <laughs> but it's always good to check with your realtor, find out what the temperature of the room is, find out where your negotiating power is. That's what your realtor's for. And uh, do buyers pay for realtors? Or is that a cost that comes out of a buyer's pocket for a realtor? Um, the buyer's not going to come out of pocket to pay their buyer's agent. Um, so when a, when a seller decides to list their house, there is a listing agreement that they sign with the listing agent and they agree up front upon signing that listing agreement to pay a certain commission. That commission is total to cover both the listing agent and the buyer's agent. Usually that's split 50-50, half goes to the listing agent, half goes to the buyer's agent. Um, commissions are always negotiable in real estate though. There's no set standard for it and uh, you just have to It'll list what the buyer side commission is to the buyer's agent on the uh, MLS, but technically the buyer doesn't pay it. They, well, they don't come out of pocket for it anyway. It is part of the cost of buying a home, but they're not coming out of pocket to pay it. Well, it's definitely advantageous for a buyer to have a, a realtor then. Absolutely. You want to have somebody in your corner that's going to negotiate on your behalf and be looking out for your best interests. Um, you can work directly with a listing agent as a buyer and then they become what's called a dual agent where they're working both sides of the transaction. Um, but so you won't get to keep that money. That money will still go to a real estate agent. Right, unless you try to negotiate them down on their commission. If you're dealing with just one agent, you could potentially negotiate them down. But kind of like that old saying goes, you can't serve two masters. So 
you know, if they're representing in a dual agent situation, it gets kind of kind of tricky. And as a realtor, being a dual agent, you have to remain neutral as much as possible. So you can't reveal anything about the buyer to the seller and vice versa. So really at that point, once you become dual agent, you're just playing middleman there. You shouldn't really be advising either side too much as dual agent and you obviously can't reveal anything about the other side to the other party. Um, Not an impossible situation, but a tricky one. Right. You definitely, if you're going to do that, you definitely want to be working with an experienced agent that knows how to properly handle a dual agent scenario. So with, with the way the market is right now, with inventory being so low, how can you get that house you want? I mean, I'm working with some clients right now and and we're trying to put together that perfect offer to get that house that really moves them. When they walk in through that showing, that they say, this is where we want to be. How do you put that offer together right now? Well, we are in a very competitive market, highly, highly competitive for buyers out there. It is, it is a tough market for buyers, you know, I won't lie. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's a tough market for buyers right now. It's much easier for sellers. We're in a very, very strong seller's market right now. So as a buyer, you want to have all your ducks in a row and be ready to pull the trigger when you find that right property. Um, and one of the things I always tell my buyer clients is you kind of just know. When, when you walk into that house, you just know. It just feels right and you're like, this is the one. So when you come across that house and you say, this is the one, you need to have everything ready. You need to be ready to pull the trigger. So that means having that pre-approval so that you can submit the pre-approval letter with your offer. That shows the seller, hey, I'm a qualified buyer. I'm not just some random person. I've already spoken to a lender. I've already got my stuff together. I know what this takes. I know what it takes to buy a house and I'm ready to do it. I actually, not only- It'll be easy to work with. Right, yeah, and it shows, not only do I have the desire to buy the house, I have the ability to buy the house. Um, so you wanna have all that set, and then you also wanna come out right out of the gate with a, with a strong offer. You don't necessarily need to come right out of the gate with your highest and best offer, but like I said, we are in a highly competitive market, so, Sometimes it's best just to come right out of the gate with a very strong offer, if not your highest and best offer, and say, look, I'm serious. I'm not here to play games. Here's my offer. This is my highest and best offer. And, um, you know, they may still want to negotiate with you, so you might not want to come right out of the gate with the highest and best offer. You might want to hold back a little bit to give you a little bit of room to negotiate. You know, but most of your sellers out there price their houses a little bit high to give themselves some room to negotiate down. And as a buyer, you typically come in a little lower than what your highest offer is, and y'all meet in the middle somewhere. But this isn't a typical climate. And, you know, there, you do have a lot of that negotiating that goes on in a normal real estate environment. But right now, with sellers seeming to have the most bargaining power, if you want to, if it's something you want, come aggressive, right? Oh yeah, yeah, come aggressive. And basically the general rule of thumb is that the cleanest offer wins. And by cleanest offer, what I mean is the one that has the least number of contingencies for the seller. Um, so you're not asking for closing costs. You're, you're not asking for them to pay a home warranty. Um, it's just a very simple, straightforward offer for them that just says, hey, I want the house. This is how much I'm willing to pay for it. Will you accept my offer? Now, like I said, I would still want to do inspections. I wouldn't, I wouldn't waive those, although there are lots of people out there waiving inspections right now and waiving appraisals sometimes too. Although if you're using a lender, you don't have the option to waive the appraisal. The lender's going to require an appraisal no matter what because they're not going to loan you more money than the house is worth. Well, not even just conditions, but a lengthy inspection response, you know, that, you know we've yeah. seen before. Yeah, standard practice for inspection responses in our market is usually 10 to 15 days is, is the norm. 
Um, so shortening up that inspection response can be an incentive for the seller. Putting down a higher deposit can be an incentive for them to take your offer over another offer to say, hey, look, the standard usually is about 1% of the purchase price for your earnest money deposit. And let's say, you know, you're, you're buying a house worth 300,000 or well, 1% is three grand. You say, hey, look, I'm going to put up double that. I'll put up 6,000 because I really want this house. So then when they're comparing offers, they see that strong deposit. They know that you're serious as compared to the next guy. So and we see that all the time when, when making offers for clients or when we're listing houses ourselves and clients want to go with those strong down payment offers. Oh, yeah, yeah. In some markets I've seen people are putting, I mean, it basically has become the norm in certain markets where they're putting up 3 4 5% for the deposit because it's that competitive. Wow. Well, talking about what we've seen in trends in 2020 and what we're looking to see in 2021, I know you and I were going over the annual report for the Gulf South Real Estate Information Network, and there were some things that jumped out, and I know you wanted to talk about a few things. Yeah, we're definitely in a kind of a unique time here. Um, for example, our listing inventory is at an all-time low. Um, now, this is true all over the country and pretty much every part of the country. Um, and here locally, we're in the strongest seller's market we've been in in well over 10 years. Right now, our months of supply uh, is all the way down to 3.2 months. At the same time last year, it was almost five months. And, and what does that mean when I say listing inventory, the 3.2 months of supply, that means on average it's taken around 3.2 months to sell a house. Uh, where a year ago it was almost five months. Um, but actually, if you look at the days on market, the listing time on market, that's down to an average of um, all the way down to right now we're at 58 days. So your average time on market is 58 days. So inside of two months. That's for single family units. That's for single family properties, yeah. Um, actually, I'm sorry. No, that's actually for all dwelling types. Uh, single family, if you want to look at single family specifically, it's right about the same at 57. 57. Um, so some of the other stats we're looking at right now, the average sales price is up um, for the entire MLS. And this is for single family homes here. The average selling price right now is a little over 291,000, which is up over 10%. Um, the number of homes for sale is at uh, an, a low, a serious low, going back, going back 10 years, it's the lowest it's ever been. Uh, right now, there's 3,711 homes for sale in the whole MLS network, where just a year ago, they were quite a bit higher than that. That's down over 26%. So that's a serious decrease there. Uh, a couple other things of note here. Percent of list price, and what that means is what are homes selling for as a percentage of the beginning list price. Um, that right now for single family homes is at 98.9%. So there's not much wiggle room there. No. Uh, that's, that's actually up just about a half a percent. We've been running at about a 98, 99% list price for the last couple of years, actually. We've been in a strong seller's market, although right now is the strongest seller's market it's ever been. Uh, another interesting statistic here is the, the sales price per foot. Uh, the average right now for the entire MLS here is 141 a foot, which is much higher than some other parts of the country. 
Um, and that's actually up 7.6%. So we've seen a, a steady increase with that over the last few years. We've seen some parishes jump up with their median sales prices. Jefferson Parish has jumped up 36% from 2016. Also, you're seeing St. Bernard Parish up 33% since 2016. So yeah. those two parishes, people are kind of heading out to the burbs a little bit. And not just that, people are getting good value for their homes in those areas. Yeah, you know, that trend was actually already kind of happening prior to COVID. We already saw a lot of development kind of outside of the city. You know, for many years, there was an influx of people moving back to like the urban centers, the city cores, um, which you still see some of that, but that's kind of backed off a little bit. And I think a lot of that has to do with the millennial generation. You know, a lot of younger people wanted to kind of live right in the mix of yep. downtown, be in the middle of everything where the action is, but they get a little bit older, you know, they. They uh, settle into a relationship, they, they get engaged, they start to get married, they want to have a dog, they want a yard for their dog, or they start having children, now they want a yard, so then they're starting to look back out to the suburbs, because you're not going to get that stuff in the city centers. Um, and then going out a little further from the city, like you mentioned St. Bernard, or, or even the North Shore, or, or uh, the other way out towards Laplace, or even down to Belchase, we've seen a lot of movement those Washington ways. Washington Parish has, is up 50% in their mean sales price. Yeah, so. yeah. And that's really, like you said, that's, that's really just because of affordability. Um, everything in the closer into the city, the prices are up so much that if you go a little further out, you, you get much more for your money. A lot more bang for your buck a little further out. I mean, you look over at the North Shore, you can get brand new construction in the 200,000s. I mean, right now in Metairie, you're lucky to find any house in the 200s. And commutes are being less of an issue. People are working remotely. People are working from home. People could be watching this podcast right now in their living room having a bowl of cereal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, COVID has definitely, uh, I would say, encouraged more of that where people are looking a little further out because there's a lot more people that are able to work remotely now. And COVID kind of forced that trend. You know, there was a lot of companies kind of fighting against that for a long time. They didn't want to relinquish that control of having people in the office where they could kind of watch over them. Um, but they were forced to let people work remotely. And once people started doing it, they like it. And the companies also realized, hey, look, maybe I don't need to pay for all this office space. Which we've seen that in commercial real estate, you know. Yeah, yeah. Commercial real estate's a whole whole different ball game right now there. That's, uh, there's a lot of challenges in the commercial real estate because of the, the things like that with COVID. But with the ability of people to work remotely, I think we're going to see more and more of that, that trend of people buying further out and because they don't have to commute. And so they can buy more house. And people sitting around in their houses in quarantine with COVID, have, have I think a lot of people have quickly realized this place is too small. It's too small. <laughs> the kids are all over me. They, right. they need a room. I need something soundproof. So what are, what are some trends that we're going to expect in 2021? Well, in 2021, um, for the, I've, I've had a lot of people asking me this here in the last couple of months, to be honest with you. So I've done a lot of research and reading on it to make sure I knew what I was talking about. Um, but what we're expecting for 2021 is interest rates are going to remain low. They're going to hover at record lows. Um, they're going to stay probably under 3% or around 3% for the remainder of the year. They may tick up a little bit around fourth quarter of this year, but they're still going to be around 3%. And even if they're in the threes or mid threes, that's still extremely low. I mean, you look at the 30-year average for mortgage rates, and it's like 8% or something, you know. And then what? Back in the 80s, they were double digits, which I'm not real sure how people even bought houses back right, then. Right. It's like it. credit card interest rates anything. for houses, you know. Um, but interest rates will remain low. And as long as interest rates remain low, you're going to have some pretty intense buyer competition because 
a lot of people want to take advantage of these low interest rates. And as long as we have the low interest rates, the intense buyer competition, um, we're also, we've got li uh, limited listing inventory as well. And that, that trend's going to continue too. And there's a couple of different reasons for that. And one of the main reasons is COVID. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of your high risk population, like your senior citizens, people that have pre-existing conditions and things like that, you know, they want to sell. I I've myself have talked to probably half a dozen or more uh, potential sellers here recently where they're older people, they want to sell, but they're afraid to put their house in the market just because they don't want a bunch of random people traipsing in and out of their house, potentially bringing the virus in. So we've got the vaccines now, two effective vaccines, and uh, hopefully if we can get this rollout going and, and get enough people vaccinated, then that should alleviate some of those concerns and more people will put their house on the market to alleviate some of the inventory shortage. And then we've got another challenge though with inventory and that's, that's building materials, especially treated lumber. Treated lumber is sky high right now. It's basically double what it normally costs. And so that's, that's causing an issue on the, the new construction side. We're not having as much new construction come to market as we normally would. Um, and here locally, it, it's been a challenge already with new construction just because of land prices land is up so much i mean there's there's say parts of gentilly like the oak park neighborhood where just a couple of years ago you could get lots over there for 60 or 70 they're double that if not more now easily and uh so it's hard for builders to make their numbers work when the land prices are so high and then you you add on higher building material cost and now it's just not feasible for a lot of them I'll, i've had a couple of builders tell me recently that like new construction is just not feasible until lumber comes back down hmm. Unless you can get the lot at you know dirt cheap prices, then it, you got to build that cost in. But you know what happens when materials go up for anything? Which is tough to do in a city that's this landlocked too. There's just you know a scarcity availability of land. Right, right. And any time that that material costs go up for any product, that's going to get passed on to the consumer. You know, so that's going to make prices go up too. So that's another trend we expect to see through the remainder of 2021 is prices are going to continue to increase. Um, I don't know how much further they can increase because it kind of feels like we're at peak market already. Um, but they're going to keep going up as long as you have that, that perfect, perfect situation or perfect storm where we've got high, high demand and low supply. It's economics 101, you know, high, supply, uh, high demand, low supply, prices go up. I'm not a genius, but I do understand that one right there. You know, <laughs> if they don't have it, it's valuable. So. Well, we want to wrap up the podcast here today. We want to remind everybody to keep an eye out. We're going to have our neighborhood features coming out soon on our YouTube channel and through our various social media. Make sure you follow us at GNO Realty. Go ahead and check us out at GNORealty.com. You can email us, Braden at GNORealty.com and Chuck at GNORealty.com. Our numbers are also below here on the screen. If you are looking for a real estate professional, also, feel free to give us a call here at GNO Realty. And, uh... Yeah, yeah. And just to touch on the neighborhood video series, this is something that we're going to be doing. That's a, a video series that we'll be doing throughout the year of 2021. We're basically going to be going around town to some of the more popular neighborhoods and just kind of introducing the viewers to the neighborhoods and talking about, you know, the, all the cool spots in the neighborhoods, featuring some local businesses in the neighborhoods, whether it be a restaurant or or maybe a little boutique shop or something like that. And if possible, getting some of these local business owners in the videos as well to help them promote their business. Um, and then just talking about all the cool features of that neighborhood. And we'll be putting those out about once a month throughout the whole year of 2021. So that's gonna be a really cool thing that we're gonna be doing as well. 
If you'd like to have your business featured in our neighborhood series, please reach out to us either at Chuck at, or Braden at GNORealty.com or give us a call here at the office and we'll set something up. Yeah, yeah, we'd be happy to feature any local business that, that wants to be involved in it. Um, we're hoping to make that kind of a real win-win partnership. So, well, thanks for joining us today. We know there was a lot of information. We hope you learned a lot. We're going to have some more educational information that'll be very useful to you in building your wealth portfolio through real estate, helping you level up with GNO Realty. I'm Chuck Stahl. And I'm Braden Smith. And if you have any questions about today's episode, feel free to reach out. We're happy to answer questions anytime. Until then, see you next time.